Pablo, thank you so much for joining me on the Green Techpreneur podcast. I'm really excited to have you here today because you're doing some a really big game-changing things in the agriculture industry. And as we all know, we're in a very uh, difficult situation right now in the world. We've got the, the Ukraine-Russia war putting a lot of pressure on wheat prices. Um, it's led to, to food prices skyrocketing, vulnerable regions of the world uh, being, being destabilized. At the same time, we have a drought uh, in Ethiopia, one of the worst droughts that they've had in four decades, and it's put 7.4 million people at need of food assistance at risk of famine. Um, in Somalia, we have drought as well. Very severe drought, 4 million people at risk of famine. <laughs> you know, in, in, and in Europe here, we're experiencing an extreme drought and it's hitting the agriculture sectors and the farmers. So uh, I think we're seeing, we're already seeing the, the impact of extreme weather on food, instability, uh, global security. And it's, it's we know it's, it's, it's one of the most important sectors to stabilize and to preserve in coming years so to to help you know protect those millions and millions of people in the most vulnerable regions who one way or another <laughs> whatever we do anywhere right are going to get the the most difficult uh yeah part part of the deal so you have built um produce pay as an online marketplace that brings together some solutions that were missing in the market, uh, in, in the agriculture sector for farmers. Can you explain what some of those pain points are that you solve and how you solve them? Yep, uh, 100%. So, so um, the pain points that we mostly focus on and help solve are um, ultimately uh, twofold. One is allowing farmers um, who have the ability to have to ultimately improve their yields or improve their farm capabilities to ultimately get the capital to do so. Most of the produce that we consume in developed economies, uh, or really the world, comes from developing economies. And often these developing economies are the ones that have the most fractured, broken, or least accessible capital market. So we built a produce space, we've built a mechanism for um, traditional funds like that of funds uh, in the United States to reach farms uh, all across the world. Um, and by doing so, really helping the people that are best equipped to, to grow um, the fruits and vegetables the world consumes to ultimately have the capital to do so. And then secondly, and as a good analog or ultimately to the other side of that issue, is accessibility um, through technology. Uh, and what we mean by that is the... the um, a lot of these farmers ultimately fail to make the product available uh, to the consumers they want because they, they don't know where, where these consumers are mm -hmm. uh, or ultimately the clients are willing to buy the product are. So what we do is we build a uh, strong te technology infrastructure that connects farmers from their original countries of farming to the consumers that need to. And then we provide the servicing between all of these, including in a large degree cross border uh, servicing to allow them to reach the customers they want. And thus, by doing so, um, we give what we believe is the ultimate solution to farmers, uh, which involves um, strong markets of consumption at mm -hmm. strong pricing, uh, along with the capital 
and the infrastructure to reach those clients, which we believe is a formula to ultimately maximize long-term farmer well-being. Um, can you can you share a bit of just the regions that you operate in, and and the overall impact you feel that you've had on on the industry so far? Yeah, uh, Produce Bay mostly works um, in the Americas, mm-hmm. um, as in. We have strong, uh, a very strong United States farming uh, community, um, and then all the way down to pretty much short of the uh, of Antarctica. What I mean by that is all across the Americas, from Mexico, Guatemala, all the way down to uh, South America uh, in countries like Peru, Colombia, or Chile. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as the impact, we've had a bit more by the numbers. Uh, we work with about 700 farms that together produce about $4 billion worth of uh, farming goods. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, we work, like I mentioned, to make sure that we help these people in a twofold mechanism by giving them the capital they need to produce this $4 billion of product. Uh, and then ultimately, by making sure their product reaches the people that best, that are best ultimately valuing or willing to, mm. to, 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 to give farmers the best return on these commodities. Um, and to give you maybe another side of that impact, um, because we have because we're a U.S.-based company, uh, we do focus a lot on the United States market of consumption. And there have been many times across the last seven years where we have strongly helped uh, a commodity or a group of fresh fruit and vegetable commodities reach a place like, for example, the Los Angeles metropolitan area, where we have where our farmers have represented a strong amount of the product that is available in those areas. And when you think about times, particularly in the past few years, like times of the pandemic, where access to food was in question, um, it was it was our ability to ultimately help these farmers get the product to these places uh, like Los Angeles that ultimately allowed us to make sure that we brought healthy food uh, to the local communities that we work at. And honestly, um, as a startup founder, I'm, I can say that there's very few things uh, that make one feel better than than helping healthy foods uh, get access to the communities where you work out of, right? So um, that's kind of how we like to position ourselves as what are the farmings that we, the farming communities that we help and alternatively the places in the world that we help get access to healthy food, especially in recent times where health um, has become more of a priority mm-hmm. to make sure that we can get healthy calories to those people. That's amazing. Um, I, I've heard quite a bit about uh, just the incredible disparity very often of how much some of these farmers are paid for their produce, right? I mean, I've, I've heard in some cases, let's say coffee growers in Ethiopia or whatever, it's 2% or something <laughs> that they actually earn compared to what their product is sold for when it's repackaged and processed a few times somewhere else. So uh, like the, the, the solution that you're, you're bringing to the market actually helps on so many different levels. Uh, just, just. You're, 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 I mean, you're very right. And, and just to give you some stats on what that represents for for farmers, um, on on for example, on the pro- on the communities that we work with, uh, before we came in, on average, uh, the product was moved uh, between three to six people before it got to the end buyer, mm-hmm. uh, and what was marked up um, anywhere from four to five times, which means that on average, in this now an average, uh, about 60% of the final price of a um, of a commodity never gets back to the farmer, uh, which is a real shame mm-hmm. considering that these people are still meant or in a way um, 
push towards bearing 90% of the liability that comes with growing that commodity, right? So if, if you think about it, that doesn't really make sense. Uh, the farmers take all the risk and yet have literally the minority of the return for that commodity. Um, and that's a big part of what we're trying to do. So like you're, you're, you're spot on. Like, it, like yeah. f- farmers are often um, a group that is largely taken advantage of. Absolutely. And uh, it, c- it comes down to, I think as, as, as we face more and more pressure, in, in, in the world, right, due to climate change or these big sort of destabilizing events like the pandemic, what it always comes down to is, oh, actually, it's the farmers <laughs> that are feeding people, it's the healthcare workers, it's all of these people actually doing the things that keep the world fed and keep us all alive, right, who are the most important, but very often the most devalued. So um, I think that's just extremely, extremely important what you're doing to, to be able to, to break some of these monopolies actually right that have in some ways existed and, and held a bit of a stranglehold on um yeah far- farmers in some areas where they just don't know how to get a good price for what they're selling and like you said they take on a lot of the a lot of the risk um what about the sustainability the, the sustainability uh impact of, of what you're doing i know you're you're helping with supply chains obviously like matching matching supply chains where it makes the most sense to bring local produce in um what what else uh what else are you doing to help on the sustainability front and just the the way uh yeah agriculture is shipped and produced yeah so so produce bay has four pillars when evaluating a farming um entity or a or a farming person um ultimately the pillars are Farming technical, I mean, is the farmer capable? Does he have the expertise, the know-how, often passed down from family to farm- mm-hmm. family? Does he have the administrative or company infrastructure? You know, does he have a team of non-farmers, like accountants and other people to help him manage the resources uh, effectively? Three is commercialists. Do we need to help this person have the proper relationships uh, and clients to be able to move the product? And the fourth pillar is sustainability. So mm-hmm. what, what we... What we ultimately focus on sustainability is, is the farmer doing something that could theoretically be done in perpetuity, or is he doing something that is creating short-term gain at the expense of the resources of his community um, or ultimately farm, right? Um, and in the sustainability piece, we, we're, pretty, um, we're pretty deep. And what I mean by that is um, we have within itself other pillars within sustainability, and without going very long, those include social responsibility, mm-hmm. are they taking actions within themselves and their community to do that? Food safety, are they doing things that ultimately will make sure that the, the people that ultimately consume this food will do so in a way that is healthy, right? So obviously uh, health practices that, that could avoid a lot of the outbreaks that you hear about in the news. Finally, is environmental sustainability, are you doing things, like are you preserving the water um, to the point that you're not exploiting those resources out of the, uh, out of the land? And then mm-hmm. finally, uh, and the latest pillar, which is our most innovative pillar, and also the first of its kind, is we've launched the first decarbonization initiative in uh, fruit and vegetable farming. Wow. And by that is, we ultimately partner with different experts on the matter of carbonization to figure out and help farmers understand how their particular commodity, because every plant has a different means or phenology of doing things, mm-hmm. how they can each help reduce the carbon footprint of their farms depending on the crop they're farming and the resources they're using it. And this includes anything from how they irrigate, um, what they apply to the soils, and ultimately how they till the land, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in that sense, 
um, we're very we're very eager to launch this new decarbonization program out um, to ultimately start reducing the carbon footprint of these farmers. That's amazing. I I feel like these. Um you know, companies which, which build platforms and just bring very big networks together are actually some of the best place to, to drive change. So I think this this kind of a business model based around bringing a large network together, building a platform is what is what the world needs, is what we need actually to roll out, right, to, to create change on a, on a larger scale. Um, can, you, can, can you share a bit about your background and how you got started? Um, where the idea came from, I I know that you're a fourth generation farmer, or you come from a fourth generation farming family. So I'm I'm interested to hear about a little bit about you know what your what your background upbringing was like. Yeah, I, I come from a very traditional farming background. Um, I grew up like you mentioned in a fourth generation farming family. Um, so where I grew up, everybody farms, right? But right. um, you know, my father farmed, my grandfather farmed, my great grandfather farmed. Um, I grew up uh, thinking that farming was the center of the universe and then eventually realized the world was bigger. But <laughs> I'm actually proud of having grown from a farmer-centric background because it has shaped how I think of many things mm. and how I see the ties between work and the environment mm. as being uh, the same, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, I also was lucky enough um, that my father had the foresight to even though I grew up in the farming community in the industry to ultimately push me to, to, to meet other companies within the industry. So mm. um, after college, um, at the, you know, at the bequest of my father, I, I looked for a job where I would be able to meet farmers. And then I spent three years uh, meeting farmers all across the Americas. And that was really, really cool because wow. I honestly got to meet hundreds of farms, um, mostly in the United States, but also in Argentina, uh, Chile, Uruguay, Peru, and other parts of Mexico. And that's kind of where I really understood that the issues that I saw back home were the same issues everywhere. Um, and that's kind of what led to what people normally refer to like the aha moment, um, was I ultimately having the ability not just to grow for my own region, but other regions, because it allowed me to, to separate the noise of my own community versus the real problems that plagued all farming communities, which is the genesis of how produce was born. Mm. So that's actually really interesting because I've heard from a few, a few entrepreneurs that it's, it's the moment when you travel and that you're able to connect a few dots and it's where the ideas or, or some of the innovation comes from. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting to hear that your story, yeah, it actually came from, from traveling and interacting with different people. So they yeah, had lots of reasons for us to travel. <laughs> Um, I think also reasons for one to uh, get to know other cultures as out of their own, right? Mm. It, it's um, it's easy to get lost in the bubble of our own upbringing. Um, it, it takes guts to leave your comfort zone, but to really understand what's happening with people around the world. We live in a globalized world, and we share a single environment, as mm. we've learned from climate change. Yeah. Um, we owe a responsibility to understand what's happening across all of our uh, different communities. Mm, yeah, very, very, very well said. So you, you know, you had this idea, right? And you had the background, you had the knowledge, I guess it also enabled you to build a very large network, like your, your travels and your experiences. But we all know that it's not easy to build a startup. It's not easy to launch a company. So what, what do you think were some of the keys to that actually helped you to launch this 
successfully? And and what were you know some of the obstacles that you faced along the way? Yeah. So um, I was I, I was lucky that I had the, the very um, the very strong opportunity of after doing all these travels that I mentioned to you, I was able to do my master's at uh, at Cornell University, which is um, an university in the United States that is known for having a very strong ag school. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Percy was born out of Cornell, and, and, and I, I have to say I owe a lot to my professors and, mm-hmm. and people in the university because I knew the problematic from my travels, like I mentioned before, but mm-hmm. I never I never thought that I could do something about it. The problem seemed too big, yeah. um, but it was really when I was in the school, and, and then I, I would tell my teachers about the problems and how somebody needed to solve them. They were like, why didn't you solve them? Mm-hmm. And I said, me, and I said, why not, right? And they really helped me. Um, feel emboldened, right? And they also helped me understand how other people had solved issues in other industries. Mm-hmm. Because even though what I'm doing is very focused to the produce industry, you do have to understand how people solve similar problems in other industries to understand how people go about doing these things. And Cornell really helped me a lot, right? And and that's where the where the company was launched. And in many ways, why I will always be grateful to the university mm-hmm. uh, for everything they did to me. Um, and as far yeah. as the challenges that I faced, well, the um, the challenges I faced are in many ways the things that make the industry great uh, and unique in that farmers are a very traditional group of people mm-hmm. and they're also resistant to change, uh, mostly because like we've mentioned, they've been taken advantage of for a millennia now. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, it makes them this, this you know distrustful of new things. Mm-hmm. I was very lucky though, and this is where my, probably where the single biggest strength of my upbringing is because I had the opportunity to expose myself to the industry for a significant amount of time before produce pay, a lot of the farmers that I met saw myself and by extension produce pay as a farmer first company. And I think that it has been the farmer's approach or visibility into produce pay seeing a farmer born startup that really made them be open to the idea that this could actually be a means by which something new, i.e. technology, could actually become a long-term aid for them. Mm. Um, and I say the other challenge is, and you mentioned this actually perfectly, is getting the world to care about yeah. food and vegetable farming. Yeah. I mean, they, they definitely they definitely do now, but when we launched a company in 2015, um, I mean, ag wasn't sexy. Uh, people were talking about photo apps and mobile apps, and, and that was all the rage, right? It really had to take the world to go through something like the pandemic mm. to, re- to realize that it's it's the most basic thing, the things that we can't live without. Like you said, like the social workers or the health workers that keep us safe, or ultimately the farmers that feed us, that actually really like made a difference. And now, you know, the venture or the startup or the investment world looks at agriculture with a very different lens because they have seen what the world without access to food looks like, and it's very scary, right? So yeah. it is a new opportunity for us to now the people that have a hold in the industry to now showcase it in the best way possible to make sure we don't make less of this opportunity that the world is now paying attention to the basic necessities like healthy food. Hmm. Well, I guess, um, yeah, so you had like a, it sounds like some, a really, really great kind of network of support at, at the university. And, and I'm, I'm actually quite impressed that you had professors who just said, yeah, just, just, Go and do it, <laughs> right? Go and build it, because not 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 everyone has that kind of uh, uh, right. So support directly from their professors. So that's yeah, that's great. They wouldn't, even, they wouldn't even let me take the test on the weekend. I I also think there there's a lot to say for starting a business 
before you have a lot of career experience. And uh, I just think the reason is that we become more willing to experiment and to try new things, right? It, like it, instead of instead of fit following this mold or following the way another company does it, you can just go with your own ideas fresh and just try and see what works. So, you know, obviously we need all kinds of entrepreneurs. <laughs> but uh, always has to believe in himself and the unique differentiation that he can bring. Yeah. Hard, and that's where my earlier comment about being feeling emboldened that you can make a difference and trusting yourself to do it is is how innovation is really born right mm. um and so i, I agree and, and, and in many ways um i think we all have to push ourselves to believe for both the power that comes with it, but also the responsibility that comes with believing that we can all we can all make the world better in our own way yeah yeah and what's the what's the change that you hope to make in the world let's say if, if you look back uh, in 10 years time where where would you hope to be? Um, well, <clears throat> ten years I like to be sitting down with my daughter and and um, and telling her um, how you know once upon a time the, the the farming industry was much more impaired because they had they lacked the the technology or the capital and how her dad had a little bit to do with with kind of ushering the farming industry to the twenty first century and and if I could say that I had a little bit to do with that and I could. In, in those in in that way like pay respect to the industry of my forefathers by mm-hmm. helping usher it to the 21st century mm-hmm. and I could share that story with my daughter who hopefully w- will herself be a fifth generation farmer wow. um, yeah. ultimately um, then I think I can feel proud about it that I'm passing the baton on to somebody to keep helping the industry right um, by showing her that everyone can help um, their own industry in their own way I didn't do the change by farming myself I did it by creating better technology infrastructure and, and availability of resources, but in, in some ways we can all help, right? So like, hopefully I can be passing the baton to my daughter so she can start thinking about the ways in, she, in, the, in how she, as a fifth generation farmer, mm. can start making a difference in this industry of ours. Well, that's awesome. And do you have a mantra or a life philosophy that keeps you going? Um, um, I want to like to push myself. I, I, I like, I like, um, I always say be better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think humanity's best moments or, or best innovations uh, or even our noblest selves come from when we push ourselves to exceed our former self. It's not about not being comfortable with who you are now. I think you have to be. Yeah. Because again, like empowerment only comes from self-love. Mm-hmm. But it's about having the humility to understand that regardless of who you are, how successful or how enlightened, you can always learn something. And I think if you can always see yourself as being one step before your next step to self-improvement, then you can always be kinder or more patient or more philanthropic because you always realize there's always more to do, right? So my mantra is be better. And um, and I know it sounds like very high charging, but it's more about, about being self-conscious and improvement is always something we have to strive to do. It's mm. very true. And do you have any daily rituals that help to keep you uh, grounded? Um, as an entrepreneur, obviously, we, you know, we all know that there's always sort of a lot to do and and you're spinning sort of many different plates at the same time, but. <laughs> yeah, um, I always like to end the day with my girls when I'm home. So mm-hmm. the end of the day, it's always like family time. So my wife and my daughter and yeah. every day that I'm home, I really try to like, you know, be there. Uh, like you said, it's very, very easy. And this, this is definitely a challenge for me personally. 
in the beginning, like I couldn't, I couldn't stop, right? And, mm. and like I, I was always thinking about what comes next, yeah. and it detracted from my ability to spend time with my family. Mm. So now, um, my ritual, I would say, as as I've matured hopefully a little bit, is to end the day with family time, and that because it, it ensures two things: one, that I actually have to force myself to, to put the startup on hold, even if for an hour or two, and focus on my family, and two, because I make sure by doing so that. You know, I'm not missing some of the precious moments that I think um, remind me of what we're doing it all for, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. a lot of what we do and a lot of what I've learned drives the best behavior, not just in, in produce bay, but in, like, in farms and I think sustainability is to, mm-hmm. is to think intergenerationally. It's to really realize that it's not what you're doing for yourself today, but the legacy you're leaving behind uh, mm-hmm. and the patterns you want to repeat uh, or you want your children to repeat that are important and and my daily ritual is to kind of end with that family time, regardless of how busy we are, how complicated the economy is getting, yeah. you know, how much of an issue we're having to fundraise or to close the next deal. It's about, you know, putting that on, on hold for at least an hour. Yeah, no, that, that's great. I think uh, you're definitely on the path to greatness, <laughs> thinking about future generations and yeah, how you can create that change. It's, it's really uh, awesome to see. So, um, just before you wrap up, I just wanted to, because you, you, you mentioned, right, the, the growth path that you're on. I think that's something that we didn't uh, talk about yet. What sort of growth have you seen, uh, you know, in, in recent years? Yeah, so we're, we're now in, in what um, what startup uh, terms call like that, the hockey stick growth. Like we, for example, we've, uh, in the last 15 months, we've tripled uh, our um our market share, wow. um, growing from doing um, $750 million of, of, of GNV to doing the better part of $4 billion, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that has to do with our ability to take our model and successfully replicate across different countries in the Western Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're very, we're very, very happy to see our model resonating with other geographies across the world. Yeah. Um, the produce industry has become largely globalized, and I mentioned that how a lot of the produce today is being grown in developing economies. Mm. So it is quintessential for the success of our business and for the network effects that will one day make our marketplace what we expect it to be, that we can replicate our model across different um, different geographies, right? Yeah. Um, and seeing that ultimately growth path, as you mentioned it, and that success come mm. as we are able to replicate produce pay business model across different geographies has really been what it, what's emboldened us to think about produce pay not as a regional or call it a, a North American play, but really now a local, uh, sorry, a global play. Mm-hmm. And that really is what we're seeing today, right? So um, we're very excited with kind of this um, hockey stick growth, as people mention it, or as, as people normally refer to. And and we, um, and in that sense, I think we're, we're, we're following the path of what other kind of growth paths of other startups have been, right? Where you yeah. really get to that growth stage of your business. We're very excited to kind of follow this path through until we can um, really bring a new reality that is largely available to the overall or the the the, the grand farming community across the world. Mm, that's awesome. And, and which regions sort of do you have in mind for expansion? So right now, like I mentioned, we're in. Uh, we've grown from North America to across all the Americas. Uh, our next uh, expansion is mostly focused in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to complement. Um, we want to complement our, our farming area with some strong European growth. Um, Growth areas. There yeah. is a lot of technology and farming mm-hmm. in in uh, across Europe, and we want to leverage that as much as we can to complement our overall farming windows. Yeah. 
and that really is where, where we uh, where we see the next phase of expansion uh, for ourselves. Hopefully, you know, knock on wood, um, you know, they'll they'll see our, our service offerings as uh, as strongly as other countries have seen them. That's great. Well, I look forward to seeing you in Europe <laughs> uh, soon. Uh, is there a final message that you want to leave to to listeners? Um, um, I mean, you know, do do everything um, that you would feel comfortable with your child seeing. And I think that's mm -hmm. a good way for us to think intergenerationally. And, and I, I get it that I've been lucky and, and privileged that I've had the opportunity to, to, to live off a business that has, that has fed and has helped many generations before me. So I've had the opportunity to think intergenerationally since mm -hmm. I was born. And I know that's not a luxury other people have, but I think a good way for me to kind of keep myself honest in this path towards entrepreneurship has been you know, as the opportunity for us to do great things has emerged, um, I, I always like to think, am I doing things that I'd love, that I'd be proud for my child to see me do? Mm -hmm. and, and, and if the answer is yes, then I do them. And if the answer is no, then I don't do them. And, and that honestly is what ultimately led us to pursue and to add the sustainability pillar to participate. It was, it was by thinking intergenerationally mm -hmm. and by really like seeing like, what do we want participate to stand or to like to, to leave behind? And mm -hmm. I think that it's a great approach to really how you treat not just the environment, but also other people and ourselves, right? So that's what I think is like, think intergenerationally as much as you can. Um, like think of like, is this something that I would want my children to, to, to see me do, to see me prosper in? And if the answer is yes, it normally means you're doing something that you can feel proud of. Yeah, I love it. It's, it's so true, right? And it's something I feel like, you know, not just entrepreneurs, but everyone, uh, we, should, we should be doing just that little bit more of. <laughs> Yeah, a little a little less absorption in the in the now and the social media, <laughs> you know, the, the microwave result and yeah, a little bit more thinking about yeah, the future and, and impact is yeah, definitely what we need. But uh, well, it was really, really great to speak to you. No, no the pleasure is mine. Thank you for the time and for the interest. Uh, I, um, I appreciate you being interested in what we do. And uh, yeah, I look forward to following your journey and uh, hopefully seeing you in Europe soon.